Hello and welcome to another episode of the Barbells and Burgers podcast. I am your host, Shane Hubbard. Thanks for joining me today. I'm super excited that you are here. Took a little bit of a hiatus, wasn't entirely planned, but as I get closer and closer to my wedding date, more and more things need to be done. Uh, so I've been, my my whole life has sort of just been prioritizing getting ready for the wedding, as you can imagine. And so a lot of other things have been, uh, you know, taken uh, a backseat just because of, for obvious reasons, um, including, you know, some some content creation things. And uh, I'm certainly not complaining. I'm just explaining uh, what's what I've been up to. But I'm really excited to get back behind the microphone and talk to you. And I will say this, that having a couple of weeks off really, the last couple of weeks have been really interesting because I haven't given myself that much time off since I started the podcast. I've been sort of balls to the wall, producing at least one episode a week for about almost eight to 10 months. I think it's around the time. And so stepping away and sort of getting getting away from content creation has actually been better for content creation. There's a great episode of Parks and Recreation, if you've ever watched it, where Leslie Nope is trying to come up with an idea. And she's always really good with ideas, but she's been nonstop working for like, I don't know, the entire year, at least the entire time the episode's uh, you know, been airing and her, the one of the best characters in the show, in my opinion, Ron Swanson says, I'm going to lock you in this room and you're going to get a full night's sleep because she hasn't slept more than like three hours a night since some kind of project started. And she wakes up in the morning. She has all these amazing ideas, like multiple amazing ideas. Usually she just comes up with one really good idea. And so that's sort of what I felt like. I sort of felt like stepping away gave me so much more time to relax and actually think and explore and, uh, you know, consume studies and research and be able to just, you know, consume instead of produce. So that time away has really given me uh, a great perspective on things and sort of taking a, a step back. But it's also because I've, I've been bringing on more coaching clients and I've expanded how much experience I have as a coach, this is really where this episode was born is that I've gotten to the point now in my coaching career where there's very distinct differences between people that have success in their weight loss journey or their their whatever journey they're going through. I, I specialize in helping people lose weight. I break down the physiology. I, I program for my clients accordingly. And as a result, I've seen very distinct differences between those that succeed, those that succeed and those that fail. And so the title of this episode is to help you understand what you kind of need to have at least a grip on before you get started with your weight loss journey. I think typically speaking, we, we, turn, we think of certain periods of the year as good times to start a weight loss journey, like the beginning of the year, right? New Year's resolutions or, you know, a couple of months before summer. And that's sort of the traditional way of thinking about it. And on the flip side, we sort of think, okay, well, I don't really... I'm not going to really try to lose weight during the holidays because the holidays are just insane as they are. I might as well just try to maintain my weight. And that's not a bad idea either. But sometimes we let ourselves go during the holidays. And so it's, it's this sort of mindset that can contribute to a lot of behaviors or a lack of behaviors that put us in sort of this purgatory, so to speak, where we're always gaining weight and then losing that same weight. But we're never really tapping into the, the body fat that we already have on our bodies. And so I... 
I want to create this episode that so you have a better idea of what you need to kind of already have. Think of it like a college class, right? You can't go into biology 275 unless you've done biology 101. So I want you to sort of think of it this way, not because you have to do it this way, but because you'll have better success if you do some of these things we're going to talk about into today's episode. So if you're listening to this and, and maybe you're taking a break from a diet or maybe you've done a diet in the past and it quote unquote worked for you, but there's a great post that I put up the other day. In fact, I'm going to pull it up on Instagram because I already forgot what he said, but it's a buddy of mine who I follow on Instagram and it was, it's probably the best tweet I've ever seen. Um, honestly, because it's, it, it's put so well, his name's Chase Smith. He's also a nutrition coach. He says, if you're going to do a diet again because it worked last time, it didn't work last time. <laughs> and that's such an awesome way of putting it because it's 100% true. Having to repeat diets essentially means they didn't work. And what you'll start to find over time is that dieting as a, as a tool for losing weight has to be understood a little bit deeper, right? It's more about understanding how you manage your calories than any specific diet, Right? You've heard me talk about fad diets in the past. You know, Fad diets are meant to help you lose weight but don't help you at all with keeping the weight off because you don't learn anything about controlling portions or, or making sure that you understand how calories work. And as much as it would be awesome to just be an intuitive eater, we don't live in a world that is conducive to intuitive eating. You might have a lot of uh, you know natural sort of body positive people out there saying, oh no, you know, Intuitive eating is the only way to go. Uh, excuse my French, but no the hell it is not. Intuitive eating can be a useful tool, but it's not a it's not the only tool you should use. It's a it's sort of a one-sided approach to things. Because if let's be honest, if I was intuitive eating, I'd just eat pizza and chocolate all day. Right? That would be that's what my body is like, hell yeah, I'd love some chocolate and some pizza, you know, all the time. So intuitive eating has its limits. If you're talking about intuitive eating, like knowing when you're full and when you're not full, or, or I should say when you're hungry and when you're full, yeah, absolutely. That's a good sign to tap into. But when it comes to food choice, that's not really that great an idea, especially if you're constantly surrounded by foods, right? Maybe if you, you lived in a household that only had, ever had whole foods and had fruits and vegetables and lean meats and healthy fats, and you were able to portion those out, hell yeah, intuitive eating makes sense. But a lot of us don't live in, in that control of an environment. So intuitive eating as a, as a sort of one-tracked mindset doesn't work. The same goes for counting calories. Counting calories isn't always going to work 100% because sometimes you'll have to tap into your hunger signals. If you are only allowing yourself 500 calories for a meal, but you're still hungry afterwards, you have to understand that that additional hunger that you feel might be a sign that you need more calories in that moment. Or maybe you need to rearrange your macronutrients. Right, so you're maybe you're getting you know less from the carbohydrate side of calories and, and more from the protein. Let's say your protein amount is lower than what would be useful for being satiated. So anyway, all these things are sort of tools that you apply to the right job, as opposed to thinking that like for instance, you wouldn't go to a job site to build a house with only a hammer. What if you have to cut something in half, or what if you have to screw a, you know a piece of wood into something else? Right, you need multiple tools to do different jobs, and that's sort of what you want to think of. Uh, and we're going to provide some uh, some tips for that today. Okay, so 
And these are in no particular order. It's not a hierarchy. It's not the, you know, the first thing is not the most important thing. I just want to throw some ideas out to you that's that's going to be important to consider. We've got, I've got about eight or so written down. So I, I don't, uh, we, we don't necessarily have to go through every single one, but these are going to be some of the most important ones, okay? So the first one is to understand that the process is going to take six to 12 months. I don't think there's any... There's nothing wrong with saying that. And you might have been told that you could do a three-month massive transformation. But let me tell you this straight off the bat. The only time I've ever seen transformations that have been that like awe-inspiring or, or sort of like motivating are people that are 100% dedicated to every single thing their coach gives them. And that's an awesome thing to achieve, but that is not going to be the vast majority of you. And I'm not even going to ask for 100% compliance. I'm going to ask for 80% because that's more realistic for the average client. You're going to get some people that are like so dedicated that they won't even, they'll wake up at 2 a.m. to eat a meal if you tell them. And they might even have that level of flexibility. The vast majority of my clients need something a little bit more towards the 80%. And so if you're going to give yourself 80% as your your goal, then you need more time, right? You, you have to consider the fact, and, and I don't even like putting 6 to 12 months because in a lot of respects, everybody's going to be a little bit different. And I think if you give yourself too strict a timeline, it can it can do some negative things for you in the short term. There are some clients that deadlines make them work too hard. Like they'll drop their calories too low because they're trying to meet a certain time, right? A, a wedding date or whatever. It doesn't even have to be an important date. It could just be the date they set to, to complete their journey. And so they, they're like, oh, well, you know, I should, you know, instead of having a, a sort of a conservative 200 to 300 calorie deficit, I'm going to go 500 calories. And I'm like, why? You're going to burn out so quickly. You're not even going to finish the six months. Well, I'm, I'm afraid that I'm not going to meet the count. Cal- you know, I'm not going to lose the right amount of weight by that time. So sometimes those sorts of deadlines can trip people up. I've found that six to 12 months sort of relaxes that. Although there's always one or two people that are like, you know, that's, I don't want a timeline. I just want to be able to work on healthy habits, which is fine. And that's what I encourage. Like, if you're focused on the improvement of your behaviors, I don't give two flying you-know-whats how long it takes you. Expectations, though, can be useful for some people. That's why I'm sort of leaving this open-ended. You might say, in six months, this is what, on average, you should expect, right? And so that people can sort of manage things. Other people are like, I just want to focus on the habit, and I don't care if it takes me six months or six years. Perfect. Then let's focus on that. You have to work with your strengths and your pre-existing sort of uh, personality, right? Not with all things. There's some things that's like, sorry, you, you, no personality that is going to be is going to override the calorie energy balance rule. Like you can't do that. But you have to understand it's going to take longer than you probably expected, and that should actually give you a sigh of relief because it means that on the weekends, if you want to go out with your family or you're going to go out with your family 
and you want to have the the meal that you usually get but you know because you're on a diet you're thinking oh well, i could only eat like you know kale salad with the, the most boring unflavorful dressing ever and i can't use croutons or you know any of that kind of stuff that would be somebody who you know maybe is like 100% dedicated who doesn't doesn't lose anything by the social aspect of eating right there's very few people like that and they're and they're mostly like cyborgs like they're sort of like half robot half human and there's people out there like that that are like so regimented they don't care about how it affects them socially or maybe it doesn't affect them socially the vast majority of people though want to go out on the weekend get what they usually get from Jay's you know steakhouse or whatever and have a life and that's okay and so when you are budgeting in a longer span of time, you can add a couple extra hundred calories to that meal that you have on Saturday nights, provided you get back on your plan Monday morning, right? And that level of flexibility is a lot more realistic and caters to a lot more average lifestyles. And so as a result of a less than 100%, which I'm not saying it's bad to have less than 100%. I'm just saying, if we're looking at it objectively, when you have less than 100% compliance, you're gonna have a better life, you're gonna have a more balanced life, and it's going to mirror more what your life's gonna look like the rest of your life. So the more you can practice what your life's gonna look like for the rest of your life, the better you're going to be at budgeting your calorie intake, your activity, to keep weight coming off, be it maybe slower than you thought or you've been told in the past. Because let, let me just be honest, most trainers or even, you know, to some degree, like fitness professionals have a very skewed idea of, of how fast you can lose weight. There are very few coaches that I've had that actually give scientifically founded evidence and, and research to show, you know, what you should be seeing. And so I'll just, I'll just say it straight up. If, if you're discouraged by the fact that you're only losing a pound a week, let me just tell you, when you look at the research done on that, that's very good. That's, that's extremely good, especially if you're leaner. Like losing a pound a week as a sort of leaner, lower body fat person is amazing. You know, if you're a higher body fat percentage person, you might actually lose 2%. And that's fine because the more fat you have to lose, the sooner it's going to come off in the beginning, especially if you're like sticking to very like regimented nutrition and calorie principles. Okay. So anyway, going back to the point, six to 12 months, give yourself that time. If you're not willing to give yourself that time, I don't recommend starting a weight loss journey because the vast majority of people that have, that either signed up or told me like, I want to lose a certain amount of weight in three months. I'm going to say, listen, that's not going to happen. And sometimes they get pissed off. They're like, well, you know, I'm going to go find someone who does, who will you know help me do that. That's fine. If that, if you want to find a different professional who is going to lie to you, and you just want to hear what you know what you want to hear, then have as much time not getting results as you want. I I don't care. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be an asshole. I'm saying this because this is what's found. The most successful people have better results when they give themselves six to twelve months, and even longer in some regards. It's different per person. But if you're trying to lose, you know, a substantial amount of body fat in, in three months, I'm sorry, but unless you weigh 485 pounds and you're like, you know, like 80% compliant to your nutrition, you're not going to lose weight that quickly. So you have to be realistic about your time frame. That would be the first thing. If you can't do that, I wouldn't recommend going on a diet. I would recommend being a little bit more, uh, changing that mindset first before you go forward. Okay. The other thing that's really important. So this is number two. 
are you going to measure progress other than using a scale? Because if you're not, you're going to be very disappointed throughout your entire journey. Very rarely does the scale move to any substantial amount before other changes take place, right? Again, this is an example for the average person. If you weigh 485 pounds and you start eating better, like if you, instead of having two large pieces for pizzas for dinner, you have, for the sake of just giving an example, you have one large pizza and you do that consistently, you are going to lose body fat, right? It's, it's a numbers game at that point. And you are going to see the scale change because you have so much to lose that it's going to come off relatively quickly. A lot of people don't realize this, but if you have a lot of excess body fat, your body is actually willing to get rid of that because there's sort of this point of diminishing benefit of having body fat, right? Having excess body fat is, is, is great, but also there's a point at having too much body fat actually causes things like metabolic syndrome, right? Causes problems, inflammation. So having way too much body fat is not necessarily a good thing either. So your body's a lot more receptive to losing when you have a ton to lose. That's an important thing to understand. But going back to the scale, if you're going to use the scale, I, I will say this. If you're only going to use the scale, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I would highly recommend that before you start, have plans for measuring progress in other ways. All right. If you're doing a strength training program, which I highly recommend that you do, make sure you're measuring those little changes, not just how much weight you can lift, but how many reps you can do with the same weight over a period of time is another example. Right. So typically speaking, when, when you can lift more weight, you know, that's a sign of progress. You feel stronger. Right. But there's other ways to do things. Right. Let's say that you have 100 pounds on a on a barbell and you're bench pressing it. And, you know, two months ago, you could only do that for five reps before you needed assistance or before you, you know, you felt like you couldn't do one on your own. And then, you know, current day. So two months in the future, now you're able to do eight repetitions with that same weight. That's a form of progress when it comes to to nutrition how compliant you are to your nutritional calories, your macronutrients, those are all signs of progress, right? If before you weren't even tracking your food, tracking your food is a sign of progress. Levels of awareness become uh, ways to measure progress. And they're not the sexy, cool, like before and after photo sort of things, although that can also be very useful is, is taking photos. These small little forms of progress get banked in the behavior category. So you change your behaviors. And when you look at this research that shows people becoming more successful, losing weight and keeping it off, what the research shows is the people that lose weight and keep it off change their behavior. So the more you can put in the behavior bucket of change, the better results you're going to have for the rest of your life. But if you're simply just losing weight on the scale, but not really learning anything along the way, that means that when you stop doing that diet or you stop doing that plan or that challenge or whatever, that what's going to happen is, is you're going to go back and you're going to gain that weight back because you didn't change behaviors that become sort of this automatic autopilot approach to things, or you haven't created sort of this behavior checklist. I have a, I, something I use with my clients called the fat loss checklist. And it's, it's some very basic things. It's strength training, you know, two to three times a week if not more, if you're more advanced, it's, you know, getting a certain amount of steps, usually anywhere between eight to 12,000 steps a day. It's, you know, following, following a calorie deficit. So managing your calories the best you possibly can, uh, and having an understanding there's, there is a little bit of wiggle room. You don't have to be perfect every single time. I find that a lot of people that track calories become overly anal about things. Like if they're two calories over their calorie deficit number, they start freaking out and messaging me like, oh my God, you know, I ate two more calories and 
than my calorie deficit number. I'm like, you probably just burned that writing that email to me, right? So stop freaking out. It's okay. You're going to be fine. Um, you know, so there's these sort of behavioral checklist things. And if you can check those boxes off every single week, you know, the vast majority of them anyway, like maybe you, maybe one day you only got 4,000 steps. Okay. But the rest you got, you know, eight to 10 or whatever. That's awesome. That's really, really good. Those check boxes of changing behavior or participating in the habit of changing behavior is what's going to lead you to better results. So make sure that you measure almost every single little victory. One of the things I do with my clients is I help at the end of the week, I have them say, or answer the question, what small victory did you achieve this week? And for some of them, like, it's kind of funny that I say small victory because I want them to think of the smallest little thing. But a lot of times what they think is small is huge, like in my perspective, because I'm a coach and I see it differently. But, you know, it's like uh, one of my clients today messaged me and said, hey, when I was brushing my teeth today, I bent over the sink and I didn't have any pain in my low back. Now, you know, that's not something that you achieve in the gym. That's not some sort of scale measurement that you make, but that's a form of progress. When you start to eliminate pain that you had before as a result of sticking to behaviors like staying with, consistent with your workout program or staying consistent with your nutrition to drop body fat, body fat, you start to see those progressional changes. And those are the ones that make the biggest difference. It's not always the one you see in the gym or you see in the kitchen or you see in the mirror. It's the little things that change as a result of creating better habits in your everyday life, right? It could be going up a flight of stairs. You could be bending over to spit in the sink after you've brushed your teeth, right? These are the, the things that nobody talks about because it's not the cool marketing, sexy, Instagram-worthy, whatever. But those are the things you're going to see. Those are very important. And, and that's another thing to keep in mind is that it's not always going to be a scale change. It's not always going to be a mirror change. It will probably first be a waist circumference change. So like, for instance, nine out of 10 clients that I work with, they see a change in their waist line, irregardless of a change on the scale. So they'll, they'll lose two inches off their waist, but the scale basically doesn't change at all. And you might be scratching your head going, how is that even possible? How can he lose two pounds of fat or two inches, let's say, and let's say that that's, you know, two pounds of fat and those scale doesn't change. Go back and listen to the episode I did on weight fluctuations, sort of as a, you know, TLDR. Basically, when you lose body fat, your body retains additional water to try to keep your weight the same in order to survive. It's a survival mechanism. And I, there's no point in explaining any further than that because it's physiology. You're not going to override it. Just learn to live with it and be okay with it, right? The sooner you can believe that, the better. All right. So that's number two. All right. So number three, we sort of alluded to this already. Are you committed to making healthy choices consistently over less healthy choices? So notice I didn't say, are you willing to be perfect every single meal? But are you willing to make small changes to your nutrition on a daily and weekly basis that push you in a direction of controlling total calorie intake, controlling hunger so that you don't have the urge, right? Because trying to fight the urge of, of hunger is a battle you'll always lose. All right, you're always going to lose the battle against intense hunger. It's one of the reasons why I never recommend doing a severely restrictive calorie deficit diet. So if someone says, hey, you know, you used to eat 2,000 calories and now you're going to eat 1,000 calories because the math works out that you'll burn more fat and all this stuff. And in the beginning, that might actually happen, which is why they don't get, you know, yelled at because the result is that you 
lose weight a little bit quicker. But the problem is, is that that lasts for maybe a month, two months. And then what happens? Well, adherence dies down. You're not willing to, your body's starting to feel the effects of only a thousand calories a day. And as a result of that, you eventually are eating a thousand calories a day. And if you eat any more than that, you will gain more body fat because your metabolism has you know shifted in the sense that a thousand calories is how you maintain your weight now. Now that's going to take longer than a month, but my point is is that the slow and steady or the more particularly planned, like you might go on an aggressive fat loss phase for two to three weeks and then you slow it down, right? You lose that initial body fat, you get some motivation, and then you slow it down a little bit. You know that you're going to lose weight slower, but you're also going to be able to maintain the weight you lost, which is the most important thing that's also overlooked. So are you willing to make healthier choices consistently over the course of a week than unhealthy choices? So here's a good example. If you eat cereal every night, are you willing to cut back on the amount of cereal you eat? So instead of it being you know five days a week, let's say, are you willing to cut back to two times, two times a week? Are you willing to also fit that in your calorie total? And when you start asking yourself these questions, you, your sort of immediate answer or what you think about those answers to those questions determines whether or not you're ready, right? If you're in a really sort of dark place, maybe you're depressed, you might now might not be the best time to try to like completely overhaul your nutrition. Everyone's a little bit different, right? A lot of times we manifest our stress or the relief of that stress in food. And I'm not a, um, you know, binge eating or uh, psychology of eating and behavior expert, but I've experienced that, all right? Even this year I've experienced it with the amount of stress that's gone on in this sort of year, year 2020, which I'm sure everyone is willing to, you know, vote to completely eradicate from the, from history if, if possible. It's going to be the most, it's going to be the most historic year in my entire lifetime, but arguably everyone's like, can we just get this over with and never look back again? So as a result of excess stress, sometimes people manifest the relief of that stress and overeating. If you're in a very stressful time right now and you don't see yourself being able to control that, maybe it's a better idea to start smaller or to change your focus from losing body fat to let's just manage my weight right now. Let's just manage what I have right now so that when this period of my life is over, which I have no control over, it's just a, it's a level of stress that I can't do anything about. I'm better prepared for losing this excess weight as a result of the stress being reduced, right? That might not sound like something you hear very often, but I'm more interested in what's realistically going to work for a person than I am about trying to meet sort of a regimen or a theory on paper, right? Strategies on paper are great for planning things, but life does not happen in a vacuum. Life does not happen on paper. Life happens in the real world. And you have to learn how to adjust to things. So having a plan on paper is great as sort of a, a, a structure or maybe something that you keep, helps you keep aligned, right? It's one of the reasons why macros, when you're tracking your nutrition, are so important. You know what you're trying to hit. Do you have to hit it every single day? Or are you likely to hit it every single day? Not always, right? You might have such a busy day at work that you have to work through lunch. And so you didn't hit your protein target. Maybe you also didn't, maybe you're also 500 calories below your, your, your lowest for the day. Is that something you should beat yourself up over? No. 
but you know what the plan is. You know that you should be getting 150 grams of protein. Maybe you only got 110. Okay. That's fine for a day, maybe two. But are you are you set up to then consistently get that, right? It's it's the it's the 80-20 rule. It's 80% compliance with nutrition because you're going to have those days where you just don't get it in. And that's going to be okay. It, this isn't the military. This isn't like a, a drill sergeant's approach to nutrition. It's about a very realistic approach to nutrition. And if you have all of the things written down on paper, all of your targets, your goal is just to try to hit that target as consistently as you can. For some people, that might be twice a week to start off with. The expectations have to follow that. You, you can't expect to get you know, the results of someone who's 80% compliant if you're only 20% compliant. But again, maybe you're in a period in your life where things are just so chaotic that 20% is the most you can give right now. Okay. So then when, when things start to tune down a little bit, how can we give more? How can we do more? How can we make things better and be more compliant and get better results? That's another thing that, that has to be important. This is sort of the fourth one. Are you willing to accept that the effort that you put in is directly related to the results you get? Right? If you only work out twice a week, if you only follow your calorie deficit three times a week, expect the results that that would produce. Do not expect better than that results. Again, unless you're on the end of the spectrum where you're like, you know, 485 pounds and instead of having two large pizzas for dinner, you have one, that margin of difference can be smaller to see a better better result. But, you know, if you're only losing the, the last 10 to 30 pounds of body fat on your body, that would put you in a position where you feel comfortable and you feel like you're your full self, expect that the amount of effort you put in is going to result in the amount of effort that you, or the amount of results you get out of it. There are some cases in which people work really hard in terms of effort, like they're really consistent and they don't see results. And the number one reason for that, especially with weight loss, is just total calorie intake. So someone might be hitting a very specific calorie amount every single day and they do it for two straight months, they don't see any results. That doesn't mean that person didn't work hard or they didn't, they weren't dedicated. It just means that in terms of, at this point, in terms of math, that that's not a calorie deficit for them. That's that's them hitting what's essentially their maintenance. And so what I tell the people like that is, hey, you're an, you're amazingly consistent. Don't get discouraged. Like you've done better than 99 point, you know, 4% of people, like you've stayed consistent. That's the hardest part. All you have to do now is slightly adjust your calories, right? Subtract another 200 calories from what you're eating. And boom, you're going to start seeing results because your consistency is already there. I don't have to question that. I know you can be consistent. It's just about now making sure that we get the number side of things down. And this is why this is such a dynamic system and why there are people like me who coach this because it's not always black and white. In fact, it's a very colorful Bob Ross painting, all right? It's gonna be one of those things where there's a lot of different strategies based on different scenarios. It's one of the reasons why I ask people to be so detailed when they give me you know, their information. Like someone might say, hey, what should I do to lose body fat? Well, if you're gonna ask a question like that, then I'm gonna give you a simple answer, calorie deficit, right? But if you say, hey, I've been doing this, this, and this, it's been this long, um, I've, I've only saw this amount of weight loss or no weight loss at all, what should I do? The more detail I get, the more detailed response you get because detail, the devil is in the details. That is the most important part. I can have someone following a calorie deficit to a T, 100% compliant, 
But if that deficit doesn't isn't producing a result, then it's not a deficit. It's a maintenance. So then we decrease calories again. But that person is going to have so much more success than the person who's inconsistent because there's nothing to work on. You haven't eliminated anything. As soon as you can eliminate consistency as a factor, then everything else becomes easier. So committing and being consistent is super important. It's the most important thing. It's why when I have clients start, uh, start off, I said, listen, even if you mess up during the day or even if you go over your calorie amount, be consistent with tracking. I've had some clients where I'm like, I don't give a crap what you eat. I don't even care how many calories you eat. Before you sign up with coaching or, you know, like if I get a message on Instagram where somebody's just asking questions, I say, just track everything. Be as, be as absolutely 100% accurate with tracking as you can. Don't worry about the calories. Don't worry about the macros. Get good at tracking because that's the hardest freaking part. If you can get really good at that, everything becomes easier. There's even been cases where somebody is basically giving me all their information. They're as consistent as all hell. And they're like, I'm, I'm not seeing results. I'm super discouraged. I was about to give up. All right? Okay, well, let me see what you're doing. Oh, okay, you've consistently been eating you know, 1,975 calories. You haven't lost any weight in two months. Decrease your calories to 1,700. 275 calories less. And within you know, two weeks, somebody's messaged me, holy crap, it worked. Yeah, because you eliminated pretty much everything else other than consistency. So again, that's why committing to making healthier choices is so important. Because even if you're not perfect, you're consistent. And if you can eliminate one thing from the equation, make it consistency. Because it makes every other decision you make 100% easier. If you're eating your protein every single day and you're hitting that mark, right, and you're not losing weight or you're not getting stronger, I can look at that and go, okay, well, you know, let's look at some other things. So consistency always trumps any other habit. If you inconsistently eat 100 grams of protein, which needs to be your amount, I can't tell you anything more than be more consistent with your protein intake. Be more consistent with your calories. Be more consistent with your workouts. It might sound like half-assed advice, but I'm sorry, but that's what works. Consistency always works better than everything else. I'd rather have someone who's consistently walking every single day or walking as many times a week as they can than someone who's doing one really hard workout once a week. And they're like, oh man, I was sore for an entire week. Yeah, guess what? You're also that much further away from your results because you worked out once this week because you were more concerned with being sore and wearing that as a badge of honor than you were about doing a, a workout program that's going to allow you to work out more consistently multiple times a week and get better results. I don't give it two shits how sore you are. Being sore, overly sore, I should say, because some level of soreness is a good indication that you are actually going to build muscle and, and you're doing the right things. You should be a little sore. But if you're sore for an entire week because you did 25 sets of legs, I'm sorry, but all you're doing is ego lifting, right? All you care about is your ego. That's not going to work. Your ego and your physiology, they don't have any correlation, right? The bigger ego is, it, physiology doesn't give two shits. In fact, it's usually the people that put their ego aside that get the best results because they're not constantly worried about what this person thinks or you know how many sets of this they did. If they're, if they're doing the right amount of work, which is oftentimes less than you would think, right? you might think, oh, the more sets of a muscle group that I do, the bigger it's going to get. To an extent, maybe if you've never lifted weights before, right? the more vo volume does equal muscle size, but it's, this, it's sort of the symbiotic relationship with, with the actual science of volume, so numbers, and being able to, the art of it, which is understanding all of the 
sort of signs and symptoms of that thing and orchestrate it in a way so that you can get get to a certain level of soreness, let's say, and then from there, be able to recover from that so you can do another workout, All right? I'm going off too much on a tangent, so I'm going to bring it back, um, but that is sort of the fourth one, okay? All right. The next one I want to talk about is, are you willing to be flexible with your nutrition? Because if you're just going to go out there and grab the latest, greatest, you know, keto modification diets just because someone, you know, at your office did it or, or you're going to go vegetarian because, you know, you're, you heard somebody lose, you know, 40 pounds on eating a vegetarian diet, then I'm going to have a problem with that. And I'm going to have a problem with that, not because I have anything against vegetarians or have anything against keto people, although I like to pick on them because typically speaking, keto and vegan people have a completely religious mindset when it comes to nutrition. Not all of them. I have a very good friend who's a vegan who is a really, really cool dude, doesn't impress his ideas on anyone. He does what he wants to do. He does what works best for him, and he leaves it at that. He doesn't go around parading all the the fucking bullshit that a lot of vegans or, or keto people do. Right, so keto and vegan is definitely a mindset, and because they're on different ends of the spectrum, or on you know maybe the same end of the spectrum, but they're on the extreme end of the spectrum, it tends to uh, it tends to attract a lot of zealots, a lot of people who just want to sort of puff their chest out and say, "I've made the best decision that anyone could ever make, and I'm going to live until I'm 178 years old." It's like, no, you're not. There's plenty of vegans and keto keto people that have died at the same age as somebody who's, you know, 50 pounds overweight. So why the reason why I, I approach everything from a flexibility standpoint when it comes to nutrition and workouts for the most part, although I, I tend to be a little bit more strict in my workouts because of what research shows. Research shows that strength training is should be the foundation if you want to live a long and healthy life. The amount of benefit that you get from strength training over things like just doing cardio, like if you were to just do strength training the rest of your life, you would have a much better quality of life and greater longevity than if you were to just do cardio the rest of your life. All right, so like if you compare them that way. Now, am I saying that cardio isn't important? No. Everyone's a little bit different. Some people do really well with just strength training. Some people do better with strength training and cardio mixed in, right? A little bit of a mix of both. There are some people that think they do better on just cardio, and, you know, until they die of degenerative brain diseases or, you know, something like that. And then it's like, oh, shit, that guy only did cardio or, you know, he didn't live as long as the guy who's been building muscle. And if you don't believe me, go and look at uh, any of the, the other than being some of them being crippled because they just went too heavy. Look at some of the, the most famous. Look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's 70 years old. He looks like maybe he's 50, late, late 50s. Look at Sylvester Sloan. That dude hasn't aged after he turned 45. All right. A lot of. Old school bodybuilders look so much better and are so much healthier than people that have only ever done marathons. All right, I don't want to go too far on this tangent because now we're not even talking about the topic, but you get what I'm trying to say. Flexible nutrition, science shows that the, there's a wide range of nutritional choices you can make and there's a very small amount of principles you have to follow, right? So as an example, if you're somebody who likes all kinds of foods. You like carbs, you like fats, you like proteins. Great. Make sure you have a balanced amount of each one. And if you're not sure what that means, try a 30, 40, 30, uh, you know, macro profile percentage. So 30% of your calories come from protein, 40 come from carbs and 30 come from fat. 
Try that out. You'll very quickly find what preference you have. You'll probably keep protein, if it's 30%, about the same. And you might change carbs and fats. Maybe you notice that if you have 40% of your calories from carbs, it just doesn't do it for you. Maybe you're not that active of a person. So, you know, you don't need that many carbs. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe you're the kind of person who realizes, you know what, I don't really need that much fat. I'm going to lower fat, increase carbs. My point is, is that it's very flexible. And when you're focusing on whole food nutrition, is, is, is about, you know, 80 to 90% of your calories, that there's not a whole lot more you have to worry about, whether it's health or body composition. Now, body composition, as you get lower and lower into body fat, the sort of the importance of habits that exist on the fringe become more important because now the, now the sensitivity of the <laughs> margins is, is changing quite a bit. But, you know, we'll save that for a different episode. So be flexible with your nutrition. Do not go out and grab the latest, you know, fat loss diet fad program because all it's going to do is it's going to say, hey, listen, these are the foods you eat. And guess what? A lot of them are going to take out carbs. A lot of them are going to say you can't have these starches or whatever. And I haven't talked to one person who's done those, who's, who's found it either successful or even somewhat doable, right? They last, they last two weeks, two to four weeks. And then it was like, fuck this. I'm done doing this shit. So it doesn't matter how much you weight you lost in the four, in four weeks, because whatever you lose in four weeks, you're going to gain back in four weeks. I don't think, I don't think it's widely understood that weight you can't keep off is not a success. I don't care how much weight you can lose. I, I care how much weight you can keep off. Right? If you lose 100 pounds, I don't give a shit if you gained 100 pounds back. I'm not saying that to be an asshole. I'm saying that because it's the wrong approach. It's the wrong mindset. It's the wrong foreshadowing. You want to foreshadow the ability to not only lose weight, but to keep it off. Otherwise, you're just playing yo-yo with your weight. And studies will show that yo-yo dieters, people that are constantly in this like flux of, excuse me, this flux of losing 50 pounds and gaining it back, they don't live as long. That's not good for your health, right? Having that huge swing in weight is not good for health. That's very taxing. It's very stressful on your physiology. Now, if you're to lose 50 pounds and maybe only gain like five to 10 of it back, you know, during the holidays or, you know, during, you know, a stressful time, that's not that big of a deal. You can lose five to 10 pounds and, and maybe just just by controlling and changing your behaviors and, and focusing more on, you know, a little less calories than you've been. And at that point, it becomes very obvious, right? Like if you've lost 50 pounds and you've kept it off, it, it, it's very obvious what you do with your nutrition when you gain all that weight back. When you're already significantly overweight and you're gaining more and more weight, it becomes harder and harder to tell what it is that's causing that other than just sort of the simple thought process that, yeah, I'm consuming more calories, right? Because we know at that point it's, it is math. There is math involved. But what's driving your, what is driving that which causes you to eat more calories? For a lot of people, it's going to be stress, right? Um, other people, it's going to be, they've been dieting for so long, they finally give themselves a break from dieting. They eat what would probably be considered a normal amount of food, but because their body is so used to eating a low-calorie diet, anything over that is going to cause body fat. It's one of the reasons why I tell, uh, I'll say women specifically, because it's mostly women who who present this sort of approach to things. I'll get a woman who's saying, I'm eating 900 calories today. And I'm like, uh, why? 
Are you a part of a torture club? Are you trying to kill yourself? <laughs> uh, and I'll say, you're not in a position to diet. Like eating 900 calories is even below the amount of calories you would eat to diet. So what a lot of people need, to, and, and they might say, well, I've got, you know, I'm 35% body fat. And I'm only eating 900 calories. How the hell is that possible? How much time do you got? If you got an hour, I could probably explain it. And I won't bother to do that on this podcast, but you know, you need to do a revert. You need to bring your calories up because if you ever hope to lose excess body fat, you're going to need more calories to play with. And that's a very hard thing to realize, to think that you have to do the opposite of cut calories in order to lose weight. But again, it's one of those things. Sometimes you have to prepare yourself for more stuff before you can actually lose weight. And I, and I probably spend a very dedicated amount of time talking about that. Uh, I did talk about it briefly in my, um, my episode on reverse dieting, although that could be expanded. So I'm sure I will at some point. All right, moving on. The next thing, do you have an A, B, and C workout plan? Meaning, do you have a workout that works in sort of the most ideal situation? Do you have a workout that works in, in probably the most likely situation? And do you have a workout that works in the least likely of scenarios? And I'll give you some examples. I've talked about this in the past, but very quickly. A is what you know you can manage based on your current schedule, right? You know you work, you know, you, if, if your schedule is more consistent, this is easier to do, right? If you work at nine to five, Monday through Friday, that's easy, right? You know when you get off from work, you know when you go to work, right? You can plan things in pretty easy. So that's your A workout, right? That's, that's, that's what you know based on A. A B workout is if one of the days during the week that you had planned a workout, something happens during the day where you have to immediately change your schedule. There's no way around it. You don't have control over it. It's just something happened, right? And that could be a lot of different things. We won't go into it, but that's your B workout. That's that's sort of like 75% of your A workout, right? Maybe it's the same workout, but it's, it's you know, 35 minutes instead of 45 to an hour because you got a time crunch because something just came up and you had to devote more time to that. And then you got your C, where it's like worst case scenario, like today completely flipped itself on its head. What's the least you can do? And to give you an example, you got a strength training workout that works 45 to 60 minutes long, including warm up and stretching. That's your A workout. Your B workout is probably the same workout. Maybe you take off the, the bottom end of your workout. Maybe it's just biceps and triceps or something, you know, some sort of additional stuff that isn't like the big movers and shakers of strength training. And you cut that out so that you can get your workout done in 35 minutes, right? C is like when you get home, go for a walk for 30 minutes. <laughs> like you're burnt out, you're tired, there's nothing, there's no energy you could give. In fact, if you were to do a strength training workout, it actually might be worse because your form is going to be shit because you're fatigued and it's just going to be less effective to do that workout than it would be to do a different workout that's lower intensity that still keeps your momentum going. That's your C workout. And that's sort of how I do it. My C workout is walking my dogs or going for a walk, right? Committing to a certain amount of time, but not committing to a lot of intensity. Your B workout is, you know, a fraction or a, you know, three-fourths of your A workout. And your A workout is, you know, what you, what you plan on getting at least the majority of the time, right? If you're willing to do that, you really have no excuses. At that point, you've eliminated all the excuses you can. Everyone can go for a walk at the end of a day or at the beginning of a day if you need to, right? That's just the way things are. So anyway, all right, 
are you willing to commit to a step goal, right? It's not just about going to the gym and lifting weights. It's a great place to start. But being active in general, when you look at how our bodies burn calories, the vast majority of the way our bodies burn calories is just being alive. So anything you can do to affect the calories you burn just being alive, which is putting on additional muscle mass, right? I'm not saying you have to be a, a he or she Hulk. I'm just saying putting on more muscle mass than you have now can raise your metabolic rate, help you burn more calories every single day. The second most is something called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So this is sort of the activity that you do almost subconsciously, fidgeting, walking to and from your car to the grocery store, taking the stairs instead of taking the elevator, all these small little things that sort of add up at the end of the day when it comes to activity. It's not really conscious. You're not purposely going for a walk. You're not purposely going for a run. These, This is the form of activity. This is like the hours you spend not sitting down, right? So like think of it, the difference between like a UPS driver who's, you know, he's sitting, but then he's getting up, he's grabbing a package, he's bringing it to your front door, he's doing his thing, whatever. Then you got the person who's sitting at a desk who only has predetermined times where they can take a break or else they might get in trouble because they're not at their desk, right? That person's going to have a harder time doing something like non-exercise activity thermogenesis. They might still be able to maximize, but the amount of opportunity you have is different than somebody who's job or daily life is already more active as a result of doing what they do to make a living, right? So that is the second biggest chunk of the pie. So you want to try to put as much effort into something like that as you can and making sure that you have a step goal that you can consistently hit and then potentially challenge yourself to go higher depending on, you know, the range that I like to keep is seven to 12,000. All right. That doesn't mean that if you get, you know, only 7,000 that you're a failure. It just... The idea is, is that you want to try to hit somewhere in that range. And the 7,000 is pretty doable if you're, think of it this way, it takes about a 10-minute casual walk to hit 1,000 steps. So if you did a 30-minute walk, that's 3,000 steps. The average person gets anywhere between three to 5,000 steps a day, depending again on how glued to their chair they are, right? So if you tack on an additional walk that's purposefully done, because in this case, you sort of have to put it in that purposely scheduling category because your job is already inactive as it is, that still means you've got 7,000 steps. It doesn't have to be 7,000 unconscious steps that just happen as a result of your daily life, although that would be way more convenient. It's 7,000 total steps at before you go to bed, right? And then you know, the 10 to 12 mark is, you know, for those that are either have more time to commit to non-exercise activity thermogenesis, you know, more, more consistent uh, walks throughout the day, or if it's somebody who just has a more active job, it's a little bit easier. But that's the goal. Are you willing to commit to something like that? Because if you're not, keeping the weight off once you lose it, or even losing weight to begin with, is going to be very challenging. And I'm, I'm not saying this with any level of, um, all right, no, let me back up. I'm not saying this because I'm, I'm unaware that people work in that society's work environments today are very sedentary. Trust me, I know that. So I'm not expecting you to suddenly turn your life around, quit your job, and go. You know what? I'm not going to sit at this desk anymore. I'm going to go be a UPS driver. <laughs> I'm going to go be a mailman, or I'm going to go work construction. No, I don't expect that. It is going to be more challenging if you're tied to your desk eight hours a day because you can't do anything about that. You can find little small ways, but again, your time is constrained. So you're going to have to find ways before and after work to make that up. Okay. So make sure you're willing to commit to that. 
Because if you're not, again, it's going to be one of those things where you can't expect results that are greater than the effort you put in. It's just the way it works. Here's probably the most important one, and I did not save this for the end on purpose. It's just the order that I wrote them down in. Are you committed to sticking to your habits on shitty days? The number one reason people give up on their nutrition plan, on their exercise plan, whatever journey they're on, is because they have a bad day and they think that because the momentum has been killed for that bad day, that they are hopeless. They have to start over. And I have some advice for this. On bad days, the first thing I would say is do your best to stick to whatever routine you have. It probably will not be the 100% plan that you planned out. It's one of the reasons why I think it's important to have an A, B, and C effort level workout. Because keeping the momentum is the reason, or I should say losing the momentum, is the reason why you give up on your nutrition or your workout plan. You're sort of riding that wave of momentum. And it's powerful. Trust me, it's, it's one of the most in, invisible and powerful sources of, of success is to have the momentum uh, of a consistent habit. But that's nothing compared to the right mindset to approach the right situation, to continue the momentum. I might be beating a dead horse here, but one of the best examples of consistency I ever heard about was Jerry Seinfeld. He wrote or he told an interviewer or something. I forget what the question they asked him, but he said, listen, this is what I do. And I don't know if he still does this because he's, you know, he's, he's at a point now where he probably can come up with a joke off the top of his head. But when he was getting started as a comedian and he was on the Seinfeld show, he would say that he would work on a joke every single day. It doesn't matter if it was five minutes or an hour and a half. He would work on a joke. And the only thing that he tracked was whether he worked on the joke or not. So he had a calendar, and every time he worked on a joke, regardless of how long it was, because some days he probably had you know, auditions or he had busier days, he worked on something for that small amount of time. He said, I, I crossed off that day on the calendar, and my goal was to never break the chain of red X marks that I put on my calendar. I didn't worry about how much time I commit, could commit to the joke because that was always going to change. Just like you might not be able to, to always commit to the hardest workout that you do or getting the exact amount of calories you need for your calorie deficit. You know, that, that you got to play with the range there. It's better to be a little under. But the point is, is that you understand that putting an effort into that every single day is important. So that's what I recommend. When you have a shit day, have a plan for a shit day. Have a workout plan for a shit day. Understand your nutrition doesn't have to be perfect for that shit day. But also keep in mind that if you have a lot of shit days, it's going to be very hard to stay consistent. And that might take an additional level of coaching to get through that. If your entire week, every single week is shit, you're probably not in a good position to try to be losing weight right now. Because the amount of cuts in your momentum or cuts in your consistency is going to happen so consistently or so often that you're never going to build a momentum to take you to that next level. And sometimes life situations are just that way. And you're going to have to find a way to maintain 
whatever you can. Sorry. For some reason, this coffee is, is when I talk, I don't know about you guys, but when I talk, I get very animated, like with my hands and my head and you can't see it obviously, but sometimes as a result of that, my body's like, Hey, what's going on? And I get burps. So anyway, being able to do something on a bad day is always better than completely giving up, right? That's a good sign that you have an all or nothing mindset. There are some days where I walk into my garage and the most I can give is like a set of bench press. <laughs> like I pick the muscle that I want to work the most on and that's what I give. And I go in with the mindset that knowing that if I can just keep the momentum, then I'll be okay, right? Because there will be another better day going forward. Right? It's not always going to be a bad day. It's going to be, there's going to be good days. Life works in a very undulating system, right? You have peaks and valleys. You have good days, you have bad days. There's even sometimes where I have a good day and at the end of the day, I go, oh shit, I'm going to have a bad day soon because <laughs> that's sometimes how the cycle goes, right? I try not to stay in that mindset, but when you start to pay attention to those sort of things, you realize that if you're in a shitty place right now, if you make an effort to do better by yourself or for yourself, good days will happen, right? There's an important little kind of blurb that Jordan Peterson gives on the on one of his interviews with Joe Rogan. And he says, it's, it's good to know that this is not the best you can be. Because if you're in a shitty place, it's going to be really hard to want to motivate yourself to get, like, if you don't know you can be better, being in a shitty place means that that's the best you can do. And that's a very bad place to be because then you're sort of just ruminating that shitty place. But if someone tells you you can be better and you're in a shitty place, that gives you hope that there's more to you than what you're experiencing right now. That's super important to understand too. When you're having a bad day, it's not a reflection of your inability to be a better person. Sometimes it's just the accumulation of things happening that you have no control over that affect you in a way that puts you sort of down or, or depresses you for a moment. So in that mindset, the best thing to do is carry on the best way you can given the circumstances. That's why I recommend the A, B, and C workout program. Having an idea of what you can do on the shittiest day is going to carry your momentum through to the next best day. And that's powerful. If you can learn to do that, that's one of the most powerful things you can do for changing your life, let alone changing your weight or your, your body composition. So, All right. Well, that is it for today's podcast. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. Uh, sorry it's been so long since I've recorded one, but... Life right now for me is doing the best I can with all the other things I have commitments to. So I, I appreciate your uh, consideration and I appreciate you understanding as well. Thanks a ton for listening to this episode. And if you have any comments, questions, concerns, or you need help with anything, you're always welcome to reach out on my Instagram page. And I always shout that out because it's the most active social media platform that I am on. You can find out everything you want to know about me as a coach, as a human being. You can find all my content on Instagram mostly because the links that I have there shoot you towards other forms of content, including this podcast and YouTube and um, some of my articles that I've written and things like that. So anyway, thanks a ton for watching. I appreciate your time and I will see you in a future episode.